0: Hey Auntie is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. We acknowledge that this is the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Cullen Nation. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. And we extend that respect to all Indigenous Australians and Indigenous mob all over the world. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. There you are i've been expecting you i've just popped the kettle on come on in hi and welcome to hey auntie i'm chantelle weatherall and it's my absolute pleasure to have you join me hey sis come on in take a seat and make yourself comfy with hey auntie we're going to remix the proud tradition of the black auntie and we're going to use it to demonstrate That there's millions of ways to be a magical black woman. Sounds good? Hey, Auntie. Hey, Hey. Hey. Hey,
1: Auntie. Hey, Auntie.
0: Hey, Auntie. Hey, Hey, Auntie. So, hey, Auntie. Why are we like this? In this episode, we've chatted about some of the pressures of competition that can rear its ugly head within community. And this week, I'm really delighted to share a conversation that I've had with the wonderful Layuli Ishragi. Layuli is a curator, writer, and artist from the Samoan archipelago and from other ancestries. And Layuli has a PhD in curatorial practices and is a Fellow with the Initiative for Indigenous Futures at the Concordia University in Canada next year. Um, Leuli's work is really collaborative and deeply grounded in centering Indigenous cultural knowledge and talking about indigenous futures um, very much seen through expanded ideas of kinship and community. So with such a deep live and personal experience of community, it was really wonderful for me to hear Laoli share some experiences of their own challenges with finding belonging and really having their own authenticity um, called into question by other members of community. It really raises a double bind that many of us face of feeling like we don't quite belong in the white world, but that we aren't quite welcome in our own world sometimes. How cultural practice and cultural standards and cultural expectations can be used to compete with and silence each other, and how challenging it can really be when you're trying to push back against the pressures to conform and trying to stake your claim to your own identity Um, and then coming up against I guess what would be described as cultural gatekeeping um, and some sort of impossibly high standards of what it means to be sort of a good version of a person of colour in your own community kind of leaves many of us feeling like we're outliers and like we have to navigate this sort of quest for belonging on our own. And I think that there are actually more of us outliers than there are of the gatekeepers these days. Layuli doesn't subscribe to black and white gender binaries, and nor do we. We are a community of self-identified black femme folk and the more i share with and learn from this community the more i understand that we are such an expansive and diverse group of peoples and that our ability to relate to each other as such is part of what is so beautiful about us and our cultures so the start of our conversation touches on that and we really expand out from there I found this such a reassuring and affirming conversation as somebody who didn't really grow up within a um, really thriving black cultural group. I've been sort of cautious sometimes trying to um, express myself and claim my place among my people and so to hear somebody with such a sort of seemingly strong cultural identity talk about the challenges they've had too was reassuring and really reaffirming and i think that for anybody who's ever felt that however hard they try somebody will always come along and say that they're not x or y enough just not not black enough not indigenous enough not something enough then i think that you'll find this really enjoyable too so this was recorded when Leili popped over to join me for a cuppa, and so listen out for the sound in the background of the Hey Aunty mascot, my puppy Barkley, padding around, coming and saying hi occasionally. I absolutely love this chat, I hope you do too. Check it out!
1: Yeah, in June, early June 2015, Yukiki Hara invited me to um, speak on a panel called Fafafine Towards Decolonisation. Uh, two other really incredible Fafafine activists and lawyers and her and I being artists and she in the middle of the panel was maybe the first time that someone was like oh you're Fafafine and I was like oh oh okay
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah." and and
1: some people in the community have, um, disagreed with her and it was like no he's too male presenting all this kind of stuff which is like a real policing of Identity and I, I don't, I think because I live here, it doesn't really matter. The way that we define ourselves is not the way that majority of society perceives us, because um, you know Western binary and all of this stuff that comes from European knowledge is what is assumed first, rather than any kind of understanding of different indigenous practices and ways of relating in community. So that was maybe the first time that somebody was like, "Oh, you're." Not man or woman, you're another place.
0: And how did it feel to have somebody who you respected within community say to you, you know, there is times when people label you that feel kind of like a bit of an assault, Mm. but that sounds like something very different.
1: Yeah, and it was in a public forum. Like, Yuki is very fierce, very smart, really one of the only Samoan artists, one of few, sorry, that give me a lot of critical uh, feedback and framing. And around that time, we still had a contemporary Pacific Arts Festival in Melbourne. And I think a lot of what we were trying to do was push complexity and not just like, Noble Savage can't speak English. You know, like that we're allowed to be full people. Yeah, (laughs) Um, imagine. Yeah, and so, and then recently I've been refilling like a lot more Of my friends are identifying as non-binary or trans and and a lot of friends in canada and north america in general uh have this another term that's uh, i think it came out in the early 90s called two spirit and i agree with that as well and and some people some friends of mine use that for me in that sense as well but i think actually when i was trying to explain trans identity to my mom at christmas she was like, "Oh yeah, well, we change gender state throughout the day. Depends on what you're doing." And I was just like, "Wow, okay." And then I was like, "Well, then, still like gendered roles, but then I think it's the way she understands it is very different to um, woman at home, man at, jo- at the work, at workplace, um, because young men are the ones who do the cooking for the communal households in Samoan culture, and, and everybody, I think a lot of people have different gender expressions." Not that it's all idealistic, but yeah, I'm just kind of enjoying realizing that I'm pretty fluid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I really have noticed, especially when I talk to younger people, that a lot of the things that we are sort of wrestling with going, "No, I want to get this right they're just they just it's second nature to them they're mm. like, yeah,
1: yeah. I think I was reading a really interesting piece yesterday about um, about protocols and how, like, a policing around protocols isn't kind of missing the point. It's got to be wellness. It's got to be fullness, sustainability. Yeah,
0: because I think I can absolutely understand um, as a person, especially if you've had to kind of stake a claim to some space for your identity and personhood to say no I've worked really hard and kind of had to go through some significant hardship to actually stake a claim to this identity for myself and I wish for you to respect that Mm. from my own experience the thing that I think it throws up potentially then is a risk then that people who want to be respectful and welcoming and loving of community um, then just get too focused on that totally and not on the whole person
1: Yeah like oh you misgendered somebody but for example in someone language there's one gender pronoun it's for everybody it's gender it's neutral there isn't a duality of male and female there are different genders but in the language there's no the pronouns aren't the issue right. there's other issues right. and then yeah. in Persian, my dad's language there's no pronoun there's one for everybody as well which means when they, they speak english as a second or third language they're messing up the pronouns yeah just all, the all, time. Over, all over the place many languages are like that which i think is really interesting that like okay maybe the ancestors were really woke or maybe <laughs> they're like they have a, a comfort with complexity that we're trying to put into a into a like a, a sphere into like a cube's kind of space whereas it's supposed to be messy maybe
0: yeah because I guess having really specific labels for things is only really important if something must follow from being labelled
1: totally yeah yeah and then I saw I was in a um, curatorial intensive last week public galleries association Victoria did and one of the panels was on gender diversity and Alison Bennett who's an artist researcher-based here uh, presented and talked about how they identify sometimes as female and sometimes as non-binary, and that they're allowed to be as... they give themselves the permission to be uh, a fluid person. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing! Yeah,
0: that's pretty! sometimes I feel really yeah. non-binary and
1: sometimes I feel really... infam and, and sometimes I feel really masculine. And I was like, well, I don't know. This is like, the language that we have is failing. Yeah. And... Insufficient. I think the uh, people who are, weren't born when I was and were born younger have, like, in certain circumstances, have more um, ease with inhabiting that fluidity.
0: I've noticed that too. I think that they were just not introduced to the idea that things had to be so rigid um, from the get-go. Um, when you said that... Um, they said that they felt really comfortable giving themselves flexibility to inhabit wherever they were landing at that time. That really felt very revolutionary to me too Mm. because I imagine that you spend so much time trying to get people to accept you in one identity that it feels like you're losing ground maybe or at risk of losing ground.
1: I think part of it is also that like, what uh, the education system in most... Westernized countries tells you isn't uh, really true about how, the, how you exist in the world, like it's so much more than empirical understanding based on Western science can, and rationality can really provide.
0: For me, it's been a really interesting experience to realise that the things that I took as neutral building blocks are actually even influenced by colonisation. Totally.
1: It's really intense.
0: It's intense. You're like, they got me there too.
1: I think, you know, like there's this term that comes, where you can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. I think you also can't only rely on Western knowledge to undo Western knowledge.
0: I'm so happy that you've joined me to talk about this pretty prickly subject, kind of taboo sometimes. I think that talking about why are we like this sometimes you know we like to rah 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 for community but sometimes community can be rough and sometimes your own people can be your harshest critics and Definitely. sometimes rejection and criticism from them can really cut deeper than anyone else um and so i they know you well they know you well and because you care more about their totally. acceptance than anyone else yeah So, I wanted to ask you first, even before I get into all of that, how do you relate to the concept of sisterhood? Because I bang on about sisterhood Mm -hmm, a lot. mm -hmm. I'm like, rah, rah, the sisterhood, and we have met each other in contexts that are very much about sisterhood. Um, How do you relate to that concept of sisterhood as a two-spirits person?
1: I think it's um, the most matriarchy, sisterhood, I wouldn't say the divine feminine, but that kind of. Uh, idea that kind of um, pivot in the world is the most important one for me. I come from a very strong matriarchal family. My grandmother, my great grandmother, my mother, um, very very big family, and so I think bloodlines wise, matriarchy, sisterhood is very important. And my mom's best friends are still her sisters. You know, decades and decades after they they haven't lived in the same place. They're still aren't always on the phone, line. You know, Facebook Messenger makes That's it easier so <laughs> that kind of thing and then the chosen family for me is like really really important which I've been thinking more in terms of kinship and that we're kin that I maybe I, w- I would never, I don't think I would ever say that I'm a sister but I'm very sissy yeah and a space that is really vital for cis and trans women it's not like I don't I don't feel like I want to go into that and take up space that is for others, but that I'm like very ad- aligned with it, perhaps, or it's not just adjacent because it's like more I I don't that. yeah I haven't had many male friends most of my life <laughs> yeah. so yeah. but that's, that's it's, the thing.
0: it's such an it's such a really great thing to get to chat with you about because that's very much something that I've been reflecting on with the podcast because I was like well you know if this is your community right this is your community so and all of us want to be respectful of you know as a straight woman I try to be cognizant of my own uh privilege and identity when I'm in uh queer spaces and I understand that but I also feel like it's it's beyond that. I feel like mm-hmm. you are part of the community. And so I like that idea of kinship. I think that might kind of be something that in- encompasses it more accurately than saying you're aligned with it. Because aligned with, you're still on the other side of the. Yeah, of totally, the thing, totally. You know?
1: I think so. Uh, I think a lot about what Lindsey Nixon wrote in terms of kinship and brought together lots of different voices across. Total Island in the kinship issue of Canadian Art Magazine last June, so June 2017. And lots of Indigenous people all over the world write about kinship, but it's been really pivotal for me to think through, embody um, how we relate as actually the most important way of being that we have and knowing in the world. And I wouldn't say that Europeans don't have it, but they turn it off pretty quickly. The, yeah. you know, all sorts of people relate, but uh, the cult of the individual is also kind of antithetical to putting the community first. Even though that's what we're about to talk about community can come bite your ass. <laughs> yeah, community, you're like,
0: but I put you first, though. Yeah. No, I, I really really hear you on that because I read something Nika Gurry put on Instagram a while ago and they'd just been overseas travelling and they were thanking uh, friends and relatives and they said that they'd been reflecting on on it and come to the conclusion that um, black folks have family Mm. and white folks have friends yeah, and that if you get it you get it you know totally and i think that speaks of kinship and that speaks of the critical importance of how we relate to each other as you say and why for me it's really important to be mindful of how i'm relating and how i'm throwing out this idea of sisterhood and wanting to make sure that it's in a way that is saying to all the people who i consider my kin that they are within these smothery grabbing arms <laughs> of mine <laughs> you know not making anyone who I feel is kin feel like they are a spectator yeah, because there's a lot of room for spectators and I say in the introduction to the podcast that if you don't self-identify as being a member of the kinship group then you know you're very welcome to sit with us as long as you know that your experience will not be centred here
1: Mm, that's beautiful
0: so everybody's welcome but I think it's really important to really reach out to your kin in a way that says now you're I consider you part of this if you want to be part of this
1: totally yeah that's beautiful it's really meaningful
0: and because kinship is so important I think that is why it's so hard when it doesn't work when you are opening yourself up and reaching out to people and it it kind of bites you in the bum a bit um for you do you have a story of an experience that kind of exemplifies kind of maybe being undercut or excluded by community by kin
1: yes um i had recently moved to melbourne in this time and i wanted to maybe a few years in, maybe three, two or three years in. And I wanted to uh, curate an exhibition with all these different works by different artists from across the great ocean. And I asked my mom what what would be a term that we would use that wasn't the term Pacific to refer to the ocean. And she said, motu, so like the relational space between islands. So I was like, oh, that's, that's totally, that's great. and when I went to use it, I was talking about it with some artists and they were like, oh, did you get permission to use that term? I was like, from who? And they're like, oh, from these elders in Werribee. I was like, I don't, I don't know those people. I grew up in my village with my grandma and I grew up in Brisbane and all around Queensland with our family. Like if my mother told me that term, why do I need to get permission from somebody who I don't know?
0: Yeah. And it wasn't like an established cultural practice
1: yeah I think perhaps like permissions around language are uh, they're really important in many other cultures but I don't think in the same way in Samoan culture Samoan culture is about facing yourself and putting others above you so if, talking about relational space between islands I don't think anyone's necessarily uh, I'm, it's not like I'm putting myself big noting myself um, but I think it was read as a threat I and see Uh, I found it really hard because I was quite young and um, I felt really like taken aback and I think I just I didn't I didn't do that project in the end oh wow
0: wow that example is so good because that is something that I think is interesting to explore which is how people can use cultural knowledge to undermine each other yeah and for look maybe that person was really concerned about the cultural protocol or maybe that person saw a young person doing something that they thought you needed to be brought down a peg or two and then they used that to undermine you
1: I, i i really feel that we don't have that kind of protocol I don't I mean this is many years later and it's still it's still the first example that comes to my mind when I yes. think about being cut down. And I think somehow we get really infected with this um, authenticity dogma from Europe that you're only a real native if you have all set things. You speak your language. You, you're supposed to be completely compliant into a Western worldview, but also completely never been touched by centuries of missionary violence, mineral extraction... Slavery, everything. Mm. So
0: it's like you're never enough.
1: You're never enough. Yeah, I think it's hard because I don't want to repost with like, oh, but I grew up in our homeland and you didn't.
0: Well, that's the thing, though, isn't it? It, it can put you in a race to the bottom, right, where we yeah. start to jab at each other in these ways. But I know um, when I first started the podcast and I shared it on a forum that I'm in online, um, a young woman reached out to me and she said, I would love it if you did a show about claiming your culture, mm-hmm. because she said, I am mixed race and I often feel that authenticity fear, because as she grew grew older and wanted to really claim her, her culture, she started to really worry that people would say, no, yes. you, you, you can't claim that, that's not yours. And I think that that is such a multi-layered thing for us. Um, you know, we grow up in the dominant culture. Many of us, or you know, have to move through dominant culture um, to get by in life. And I think it takes a lot of courage yeah. to even step forward and grow into embracing
1: who we are,
0: who we are,
1: and who we're responsible to.
0: Yes. who claims us yes. yes if we have
1: that privilege the kinship that's activated yeah
0: and wanting to be claimed gosh being I being ready
1: that's... to be claimed
0: yeah and feeling worthy of that i think is such a a laden thing and so much part of this and so much part of that interaction that you mm. had with that person because you were kind of putting your head above the power <laughs> the, you know stepping out being brave and somebody within community was like <laughs> you know
1: yeah and I think as it's um, it's made me think about what you were just saying about artists who have similar genealogical cultural connection as me but they won't publicly state that they're someone and I think because of the way that um, my family's genetics and their family's genetics, they're more fair passing, um, which is a very contentious term, but it doesn't have to impact their work. And like, and so some of them, I was like, well, why don't you say you're someone? Oh, my work doesn't have these motifs, doesn't deal with these things. I was like, but you're someone. We need as many messages to go out to all sorts of people to say that we can be a complex multiple. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if maybe I'm one Person who's saying you can come you can identify if you want it's up to you and if there are lots of other people who are cutting them down who are saying you're not you're not enough you're not brown enough you're not this enough you don't speak our language all this yeah, stuff. which is the same messaging i got but i somehow pushed back yeah and then the race hierarchy that's been internalized in the Samoan archipelago has white mixing with europeans at the top and then mixing with everyone else far far below you know that there's a there's this like Unstated desirability of mixing someone with white and not mixing with everyone else, which I think is like deeply in, um, internalized racism, and it's gone, it's done. We're we're, we're not that. Old. We're we never that, and we will never be that.
0: It's internalized, though, isn't it? Totally. It's already internalized. It's deep within us, yeah. and so it would have taken a lot of courage as a young artist to say, "I want to." Proudly claim my heritage and claim this space, and then somebody takes the wind out of your sails like that.
1: It was. It was, it was one of many, I guess. <laughs> one, of, one of many. But oh. it's uh, you know it's not a poor me scenario. It's just very interesting what people choose to get angry about mm. or to come in, come for you with. Um, another example I can think of is when I. Worked on an exhibition a few years ago of artists from lots of different Indigenous backgrounds across the Great Ocean, who are all resident in Australia, um, and it was an experiment in having the exhibition in three languages: it was in Samoan language and in Maori language, as well as English, because there are very large communities where the gallery was in Kewalcher, and the show was called Waini Waini Coconut Water, Coconut Water in Samoan, in <laughs> Maori, and in uh, English, and looking okay. at plantations, gender. Um, trauma, healing, the the impact of the sugar and cotton plantations on all the descendants of the people who were enslaved from the islands, so more than 60,000 people. And there was a memorial in one room, and then all these other works. And I think for me that was really, really important to bring those, like the older um, wave of islander migration here who, was, who were forced, and the people who were forced by capitalism to come here. And from the '70s onwards, so that wasn't enough. Doing making an exhibition like that wasn't enough because I wasn't serving someone community directly enough. So um,
0: how how did that get back to you? Did you? It was uh,
1: leveled at me uh, after the opening at a bar, and I just, wow. was like flabbergasted because my parents are very cosmopolitan and brought us up with lots of people from lots of different backgrounds, from Kenya to uh, East Timor, to Vanuatu, to France. We just we had, we always had lots of people from all over the world around us. And I think pretty much most of my life, growing up every Friday, they'd have different guests. Just very social people, very open, wanting to connect. And so I was like, well, everyone is my community. What yeah. is I, I don't have this like ethnic nationalism, which I think is really dangerous. More work for our community, absolutely, and for the, the place where I'm from. But uh, I felt really like I was like, well, oh, we're not we're not in it for the same things. My my upbringing is very international. I speak five six languages. And it's not only centered on Samoa, even though that's where I draw a lot of my strength and community connections, kinship.
0: These, it's the impossible standard, isn't it? Yeah. That's the thing. It's the, it's the, you can never, however hard you try, it's never going to be good enough. And there will always be a yardstick that's just out of your reach. And it's always seems to be when you have had a win.
1: Yes. Yes. It's someone I really respect. So I understand it can come from a place of uh, meaning well, but I that's not the world I'm part of. I don't ever want to only have one cultural frame. I don't think it's possible, and it's not in our genes. It's not mine. If have so many different knowledge systems and different ancestries. How can you choose one set of ancestors over the other? Preferencing indigenous ancestors, diasporic, non-European ancestors, that's something else. I think that's like, we need to take up space, claim yeah. space, take it up. Redress a balance. Redress a uh, 500 plus year imbalance and support our communities to find, again, who we are and to be well. And absolutely for me, that means that our archipelago needs to not be closed. They've closed us at the lagoon and we need to be the seafaring, travelling, or constantly travelling people that we are.
0: What you said is so true because I think the last point you make is really of paramount importance which is for our people to be well because i think that as you say this was shared with you by somebody who you respect and you know that at least at a conscious level it was done with the best intention but i think what we need to remember is that when we apply these impossible standards to each other it really impacts our well-being totally. And I also think it's part of what pushes people away from engaging with their culture.
1: Totally. There's this toxicity around who you're doing, wh- what are you doing. I think if I were to s- define myself only in the terms of Samoan community, I wouldn't be someone. Because I'm not someone enough on many, many people's uh, measurement. I believe in our indigenous religion. I don't believe in Christianity. That's going to alienate 99% of someone's. let alone... <laughs> you know, being uh, trying to undo a lot of the internalized shame around our spirit, our sex, our gender, everything, our ways of being. Um, so, I don't want to only be Samoan because what it is right now is not well across generations. So, but well, I am Samoan because of my family, because of my ancestors, and where I think we're going, where I hope we're going. But it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm always like a fish out of water, very weird to majority of Samoans that I meet. Mean? They're like, oh, but you don't, you're don't. you not into rugby and you're not into this. And I was like, and then even with the academic ones, you'd think I'd perhaps be more aligned with, it's still like, oh, it's like outlier. And I'm like, oh, I've been an outlier my whole life. That's fine. <laughs> just me and my outrigger canoe just do my own thing over here.
0: <laughs> it is interesting though. I think there's so many of us who feel like outliers, and if our
1: it's com- an archipelago of us, Do you know, what <laughs> I mean? like
0: if our communities are making so many of us feel like outliers, then I think there is a lot to be said for the outliers kind of joining hands and saying, "Actually, we are the community now." Totally,
1: totally. I think that interface of what we were talking about before, where you know, there's, like, you have family or you have friends. And I think... Uh, I don't have a lot of my blood family near me geographically. So my friends fill a lot of these care, nurture roles and responsibilities that I have towards other people. So it's some... I think it's a beautiful mix. Yeah. It is. And, the, the like, the community... I think it's like a overused term sometimes when it's like mega vague. But when we're, like, you know, if you say the word community, you know who you mean. You can, you know, see like 20 faces.
0: I do think that there needs to be a space where us outliers or people who feel like they're outliers can feel that sense of belonging and feel safe and feel that they are able to reconcile both their deep wish to feel that they belong to their ancestral community, but also that they belong to a loving and welcoming community that accepts them, uh, in their wholeness mm-hmm. and that those two don't have to be, um, mutually exclusive.
1: Totally. Short answer. Yes. And For... all the outliers together yeah right
0: (laughs) um because it 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 is it's tough out there as much as we all have great a great sense of humor about it and we find people who we can laugh about this stuff with Mm. it still can be it can be pretty tough um do you ever fear that professional success may draw a wedge between you and community
1: yes i'm i worry about not having uh enough people around me who can keep me in my lane and remind me about their end goals and get carried away trying to be a successful artist and curator or writer or whatever. Um, I've been thinking recently about who I see as uh, the elders who would like clip me over my ears if I went out of line. And I like to think that I have them here and that I will make those relationships wherever I live. Literally, I've been traveling a lot for the past few years, so it has Im- impacted in terms of the time that you're available to be part of community life. It has definitely impacted and brought a wedge between me and others in our community. But I think there's also this really unhealthy adoption of tall poppy syndrome, or however it's called in many different contexts, that you can be successful to a point, you know. And then if you're super, super successful, then you're not black enough, you're not brown enough, you're not whatever enough anymore because you sold out or whatever. Um, so it's really, I think, like, I'm just really, I've got a job a job next year that I'm moving overseas for, and I'm really excited to be able to send money home to my family. That's beautiful. They haven't been for a few years. That's amazing. And that's like, I was like, well, you know, and if, if some of the, you know, the kinship circle need help because it comes and goes like that's that's uh, that's really part of it that's um, so
0: part of it for us isn't it because we are family yeah we're not just friends we have family and yeah i i'm so happy for you number one (laughs) (laughs) because you know what it's hard out there and i love to see people thriving um but i do hear what you're saying about our adoption of tall poppy syndrome it's like we don't believe that we can be successful in our own terms like we lack the self-belief so when we see people being successful we assume they must have sold out yeah assume they mustn't care anymore
1: i mean like i can think of many instances where my relationship to communities is questioned but it's like really questioned like oh like do I know the right elders? Do I have all of this kind of thing, which I think is part of no one being enough, anything enough. And also, uh, when people feel threatened by someone and I'm sure I behave in the same way that I'll go to something that I feel like can cut. Whereas, uh, I've, I don't have the tools or the inside knowledge, fully understand their kinship. It's not my place to fully understand and to be the judge, adjudicator, <laughs> jury Yes, why and the we, lawyers in the we, courtroom. Yeah,
0: we police each other. We it's police each other like yeah. like nobody else. It's like my community, the rest of the world. Hmm. That's who polices me.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think it this happened overseas and it was like I could tell that this person was coming for me. And no one else in the room could tell. They just <gasps> thought it was a regular line of questioning. I, was I like, need no. you to expand on this story. Because this is
0: a, this <laughs> this is is a, a thing that we've all experienced. Yeah. When you're in the room. And you're looking around. And you realize that nobody else realizes. And like
1: some of my closest friends are in the room. But I had to later explain to them. Why I felt like this was a dig. Directly at me. And I was more shocked because this person has supported my practice as well. And then I was like, what is this coming from? Where is this coming from? And, and I think it's because there are work sometimes aligned.
0: So this is in your capacity as a curator. As
1: a curator, I'm talking about these different things in a presentation. And one of uh, the fellow delegates comes for me in a public way, in the question and answer and really questions the validity of what I'm doing and, And out of respect in the Samoan way, I just defer and I just say yes, okay. Uh, Or, like, I understand where you're coming from, and I won't. We don't have a. Especially when someone's older than you, you're not supposed to openly um, break into conflict. Yeah, conflict. And so, later, a few days later, we had a discussion, and I understood where they were coming from, and they understood where I was coming from. But I also understood that it's like, a, it's easy for people to feel like you can compartmentalize what you do as what you do. Whereas many people around the world are probably doing the same thing. I thought it was really interesting that I could immediately tell that they were coming for me on a personal level. But everyone around me, who and many of the people I was very close with, first reaction, their first reaction was that it was um, like a regular question. But I'm very sensitive person. So, <laughs> yes.
0: I think that you know.
1: Yeah, Personally, you know. You know. I think you know. You can see from the eyes.
0: You can. And.
1: In the body language.
0: You had a prior relationship with this person, mm. right? It's a it's a situation where it sounds like you had been given a platform. Yeah to speak from your expertise about something that you're passionate about and you would have been, you know, sharing your knowledge and there's a whole room of people all looking at you and it's pressed a button in that mm-hmm. person. And they probably didn't even know they were doing it.
1: They did. Oh. I think sometimes it's un- it's unconscious, but I think sometimes it's uh, about power. Why are we cutting each other down over the scraps? We want everything back.
0: The scraps. That's the thing, that's the scraps. It's like you've got this forum, which is probably just the beginning shoots of something beautiful forming. Why are we kneecapping each other? Yeah. In this forum, we're trying to take this to the next level, and the yeah. next level, and the next level. And
1: I often in these kind of places, uh, we're being, it's being mediated towards european or european diaspora um audiences so you're on display
0: yes okay very very good point
1: yeah you're the
0: yeah i think what you what you raise though is such a good point in that so often when you are having a win because of the way that the power dynamics are set up you are carving out a tiny bit of space Mm. in a very um, white, you know, dominant culture space, and you are on display, which, number one, would have made it even more challenging for you um, to be culturally respectful to that person yeah. because you didn't want to put on some sort of show of disrespect.
1: Totally. I realise in these uh, in these situations that uh, the way my mum brought me up is still uh still very much there that i love that especially for people that i respect i can't i can defend myself but it's very the criticism has to be couched in a very particular way and a really public especially with the levels in terms of her, it's not hierarchy it's like respect and status so the etiquette is think around it is a bit different um
0: So you're still very mindful of that.
1: Whilst trying to not crack.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's hard. That is so hard because that's the thing. It still hurts. It still hurts and it's still incredibly challenging for somebody to put you on the spot like that in a public setting, especially if this person works in a similar sphere to you. So perhaps they are someone you respect, somebody Mm. who you would hope might be kind of understand that you guys are on the same side
1: yeah and i think a lot of people don't see it as, as as on the same side there's no way that we can know everything about the circumstances that somebody has for speaking so i think it's um i think it also like are we allowed to make mistakes which is always supposed to be perfect it's ridiculous.
0: The experiences that you've had of people undermining you, doing this, uh, sort of having ridiculously high standards and critiquing, which I think is all just another part of undermining and competing. How has that influenced the type of um, supportive person in community and with your kin that you try to be?
1: Yeah, I think maybe I just internalize stuff and then find a way to express it as an artwork or as a, an opportunity for others. I, d- I definitely think that it doesn't it maybe might, it might depress me so that when something happens or um, stop me for a while, but it doesn't stop me for good.
0: Thanks again to my amazing guests, and thank you for listening. What do you think? Hey, auntiepod at gmail.com Facebook or Instagram. That's auntie, A-U-N-T-Y. Don't forget to like and subscribe and join us in a week for the next show.